Welcome, everyone, to what is sure to be our finest audio quality episode yet. Yes, we have taken another unprecedented two-week break, and we are back with your favorite Laura Dern-themed podcast. The only one, as far as I can find on the internet. Yeah, and if you start your own, we'll come after you. Yes, we own this podcast. We own Laura Dern. Um, Yeah, so about a year ago, I wrote... Actually, uh, a little over a year ago, happy birthday this podcast. Blow out the candles, Max. Thank you. Um, I wrote Laura Dern podcast on postcard and mailed it to myself, so we're set. We have that official. going to let the money roll in. Yep. I actually didn't do that, but I'm going to do it when I get home. Let me write that down. <laughs> Dern mail underline. Okay. Why don't you just write Laura Dern on that piece of paper since you're bringing it home with you? I mean, I have to mail it to myself. That's half my, that's what I, what I learned in movie school. That if you mail an idea to yourself, as long as some if somebody does something with that idea after the postmark, you can you have like proof that. Do you think maybe that was just big post office trying to sell stamps? You know what? You're I'm a I'm a fool. I buy stamps. Sue me. I Another almost, sucker. There are some really neat stamps this summer that came out, but uh, the post office I went to the other day did not have them, and I was upset. They had um, espresso, sorry, espresso drinks on them, like coffees and stamps, like a cappuccino. Yeah, the things with like iconic dead people. Yeah, I don't know if you've looked at legendary the stamps that are available now, but they're pretty uh, pretty weak sauce. Our Bugs Bunny ones are good. <laughs> The astronaut ones are good. I like the Halloween uh, reflective ones, but then the other ones are like, like Dwight D. Eisenhower and the American flag and like and apparently espresso, espresso, America's pastime, a small coffee drink I'll, from another country. I'll never forget. My papa would take me to Addison. We'd go to Wrigley Field and he'd order an espresso and a hot dog, and we'd watch the the ball game. <laughs> But anyway, so post office. Um, I have a problem. I ordered something, like a fool, through the mail. Yeah, don't do that in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, no, so right now, not ever. Probably. It got to Philadelphia on January twenty eighth. Mind you, it is almost March. In two days, it will be March. And then, so it got here the twenty eighth, and then a week passed. It was the fourth, and then it said it got to Philadelphia again, which was concerning, and I haven't seen it. I don't know where it is. I went to the post office where they didn't have my nice stamps. And um, the woman, who was very nice, it was like her first week there, she was like, oh, it got sent to the wrong sorting place. They had to send it to another, and then they had to send it back, and it's moving somewhere. And I was like, that's almost helpful. Thank you. And then I left, because it was nice. I but, bet yeah. it's on a bender. It probably is, just going to all the post <laughs> just offices. Just like, got to Philly and like, <laughs> and had, had been doing well for... You know, cleaned up his act for a while. And you know what it is? But it was an old town with old memories. He'd been here before. It is a sizable item. Um, it is a, a letterpress box, if you're familiar. It's like a little, it's a thin wooden thing with a bunch of little cubbies because it used to hold like the metal yes. type press things. So yeah. it's like, it could be anthropomorphized, anthropomorphized quite well. Give it some arms must have that word right. Thank you. I tried. Anthropomorphized. Anthropomorphized and espresso. I'm killing it. Yes. So what's going on Welcome with you, Max? to <laughs> Welcome to Grammar Cast. pronunciation school. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the thing from that thing? 
the, great um, podcast thanks. we got here. <laughs> no, the really uh, good stuff. Is it, what's the thing where they make the like the the ratty girl a proper woman? Is it My Fair Lady? I think so. Yeah. 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 That's what you're doing. You're my fair ladying me. <laughs> With pronunciation. Yeah, I mean, that's that's. Oh, that, yeah, Because she has, a like, an awful Cogni accent, which everyone should know is bad. Is ba- yeah. And then they fixed her. That is a, a sign you are a uh, human rubble. Yeah, from, from the north. I've, uh, from what I understand, the north of England is bad, and the south is good. Yes. Oppositely, in, in America, the south is bad, and the Oppositely north is good. Oppositely in most places. Ironically enough, because of what England did. <laughs> in Canada, there's nothing in the north, so the south has to be good. It's true. North is wide open. Yeah, it's just moose. That's my my long term plan is start a farm in northern Canada, in like the Yukon or Nunavut or something. Um, Because climate change, I'm playing the long game. Give it a few decades. That's gonna be paradise. That's gonna be beachfront property. Yeah. Damn, you're smart. Thank you. So, um. We need to go back. By the way, I wrote that idea on a postcard and sent it to myself. So you're not allowed, listener. <laughs> no, none of it for you. Literally, got him. So the zoo. Do you remember what I told you about the zoo like two months ago? Do you um, want me to pretend and say yes? No, that's fine. Okay. Um, I told you that I saw a very large animal carrier and like two zoo people, and then a guy wearing explorer khaki clothes. Yes, you did. The um, the that was me pretending. I remember. More has happened. Um, I was driving by the other day, and this all happened at the back entrance. So if you're heading, like, north, the front of the zoo is all the way north, and the back entrance is all the way south. The other day, it was, like, three weeks ago now because we've been off, but I was driving, and what did I see in the back fenced lot of the zoo but a goddamn dinosaur? Max. You did. (laughs) They're doing Jurassic Park in Philadelphia. Is this true? Yes. Really? Are you sure it's actually Jurassic Park? Spoiler alert. I think it's just that Dinosaurs Alive exhibit and they just keep them at the zoo in the back lot. But still, you cannot understand the thrill of having seen a mysterious animal carrier and then two weeks later just seeing whole-ass dinosaurs covered in tarps. That is beautiful. It's like Jurassic Park 3 when they try to build Jurassic Park like in San Diego or whatever. Except Philadelphia. And the fence is ten feet tall. (laughs) What um, what kind of dinosaur was it? Um, The one I saw, I believe, was a velociraptor. Little guy? Uh, it was pretty big. So obviously it was not to size, to real size, because <coughs> realistically they were like, what? A f- I think like four, six And covered tall. in feathers. I think they were like human height. Yeah. they. That's what humans evolved from, actually. That's true. The velociraptors. <laughs> A lot of people think it's the chimps. No, 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 no. The, ch- the chimps wrong? rode the velociraptors and... They did that uh, avatar thing with their tails, and uh, they made a monkey out of them. What can I say? Ayo. Baba Booey. That's a Baba Booey. That's a Baba Booey. We've had a death in the Dern family. We have. Once again, this was like three weeks ago. Hal Halbrook has passed away. Didn't that happen like 15 episodes ago? No, he's still alive. Well, he was. He died like... Literally the day after we last recorded. Oh. He was like 90-something, and he has been in everything, so... Rest in peace, Mark Twain. Yeah. He finally died. <laughs> he thought he could come back through that old man, but time got him. R.I.P. Rip. Rip, rip, rip. Uh, so, do you want some Dern news? I'd love to. You w- want to get to the actual Dern meat of the episode? Yeah. 
Ah, uh, well, uh, Laura Dern is going to be a presenter at the Virtual Golden Globes this year. I got oh, excited because I thought boring. I thought the article was like, Laura Dern's got nominated. And I was like, whoa, but just presenting. Yeah, I mean, she won an Oscar. Where do you go from winning an Oscar? Right back down to the Golden Globes <laughs> to <laughs> hold and talk about it. She knows her place. You know. I do that, right, Dern, Dern, I think, is a a one Oscar actress. I mean, I don't know, Rosé, Renee Zellweger won her Oscar out of nowhere for no reason. For what? Uh, playing Judy Garland oh. in that movie. And I was thinking how wild it was at the time, and then I'm, I've been listening to podcasts and, like, catching up on them, and all these different people are talking about how weird it was that she won out of nowhere, and I was like, right? Yeah, Renee Zellweger. Yeah, it's a fine movie, but... Yeah, um... Yeah, Dern's got hers, and I think, yeah, I think she can rack up a, a bunch of globes. Jurassic World three, that could be the one. That could be could... that could be a kid's choice. Oh yeah, do they even do that anymore? I hope so. Ugh. I feel so detached from like kids' choice and like the Nickelodeon Choice Awards. All those award shows I used to hold so dear to my heart. Have I told you about my experience with the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards? I don't believe you have. Oh, oh this is a, a fun tale. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was living in Los Angeles. As one does. About five years ago. And a friend of mine worked at a photo booth company for like, they'd have it at like events, like cool weddings. It was kind of hipster, kind of, it was like a cool, fun thing. Yeah. Um... They they were the first I was aware of to have, like, GIFs. You could do, like, a four-picture series and, like, Uh-oh. email yourself the GIF. Nice. Or, like, tweet yourself your GIF you made. And they were they were ahead of the game on that. That's old hat these days. Now you could go in any phone booth on any city corner and get a GIF made of you. <laughs> and um, my friend called me and said, Hey, what are you doing on Saturday? Do you want to work a job for the photo booth company? Oh, no. We just need another, like... We'll have someone there who knows what they're doing. You'll just have to help out. Um, sure, what is it? It's the Kids' Choice Awards, baby. <laughs> and not just the Kids' Choice Awards. It was on the orange carpet, which was the VIP room. Oh, boy. And we were we were set up next to an Instagram-famous dog. Love that. A Pomeranian. I think I know More this Pomeranian. More online people would be familiar. Um, it, it was a, a woman... Maybe in her 30s was, and it was her dog. She was running the show. Very sweet dog. I would hope the woman is nice running lady. the show. <laughs> Not the dog secretly being evil. Um, and most of the people who came through, it was all like perfectly curated, like European 12-year-old effortlessly fashionable boy bands I had never heard of. That was like every... It was like 10 of those. That's fantastic. And they were all, like, you could tell it's like, oh, yep, there's, like, that ethnic one, there's that other ethnic one, there's the shy one, <laughs> and they're all just, like, these clones, and they were, like, children, and they were, like, you know, they, like, acted like adults who knew what they were doing on a red carpet. It was very bizarre, um, but the nicest person I met, the person who, who was nicest and one of the few people I actually knew who they were was one Kel Mitchell from Keenan and Kel. Oh! Um, he was, and I don't want to, I'm going to say allegedly under the influence of marijuana, and was wearing a, a vest that was half zebra, 
white and black zebra stripes and half camo, but like stripes of each. Good lord. And he was uh, just an absolute gentleman. I mean, he seems he like a very there nice with, person. Uh, his girlfriend or spouse or date. Has, and... has he done, had he done anything or was he just like... When you invite the Hollywood royalty, the, the yeah. Nickelodeon Choice Award I mean, award he, probably, he probably gave out an award or something. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah, he probably got a little paycheck for doing that and something fun to do. Yeah, you know. <laughs> the old kid's <laughs> choice. When he's not living in Keenan's basement, he has to do something <laughs> with himself. <sighs> oh, uh, and Laura Dern had paella on Valentine's Day with her family and partner spouse, I assume. I don't know. I'm not up on Yeah, her I feel like status. she'd go like common law or something. Yeah, you know. I mean, if anyone would know, it's I mean, probably she yes. really doesn't need the tax break. So she <laughs> <laughs> is raking in that sponsorship money left and right. Yeah, and she doesn't need Ben Harper's money either. <laughs> She's got big paella bucks <laughs> coming in. <laughs> the paella lobby really paid out on that one. Oh boy, I guess I should do one last thing before we dive into this incredibly incredibly uh sexually abusive Dern episode by the way yep um let's get that content warning out a, there yeah trigger warning this is gonna be rough boys and 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 we're talking rough. top to bottom oh yeah mine's rough i don't know what yours is about but it's i'm rough. sure it's bad grooming grooming is a thing that will come up for me oh i have no i'm groom free uh, groom free good no grooming it's interesting because your hair is like ge- geopolitical torture we'll get into oh. it <laughs> good lord this is going to be fun. So I'm holding a quarter. Yeah. Um, I put it through the wash last night on accident, and it is just so dang shiny. It is from 2008, and look at that. That is 2008? A... Yeah. This is time love. And now what I'm thinking is I should do this with all my coins. Just put my coin and jar to those wondering, in the washer. Let's see if Nick even knows his magical coin. What state? Alaska. Okay. Idiot. There's a bear <laughs> on it. <laughs> what else would it Alaska be? is a really good one. And I believe that was one of the last issued state quarters, because I think they went in order, correct? They did, and yeah, not alphabetical. Oh, no, no. Then it would have been... My God, that would have been first. Second. Would it? Yes. Can he do it? Can he do it? Oh, because I was like, ALA, but Alabama, and then I was like, oh yeah, A-L-A-B. Yeah, it's a tough one. First three letters, folks. That is not a beginner <laughs> level that is a, alphabetical sorting that challenge. Is, that feels like the most bullshit busy work thing that a sub would give you in like the third grade. Oh, Put yeah. all the states in alphabetical order, kids. I'm gonna just gotta sing the song, man. I'm gonna watch this show. Alabama on and Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, and Connecticut, and more. That's the only part I know, but I'm always able to do the first. I few. I know like the the Animaniacs country song kind of well, but I don't know do the you? state one at all. Not well enough. No, I need to refresh. You're not gonna myself. do it for the people. Ah, uh, no, like. Right now, I could probably only do, like, bits and pieces here and there, but, like, if I had, like, a good day to prep, I could probably belt it out. Oh, I hope you do. Yeah, I can't. I don't even want to try. I know. I'll just start crying. Anyway. You know what's fun? What? <laughs> I'm not done. I'm no, not done on this fine. stupid tangent. Hey, man. Um, as long you know as we can fun push and this off. very challenging. Um... Just getting a piece of paper, if you don't, in fact, know the song or have already committed to memory, like, every state in order. Mm-hmm. Um, writing a list of, and getting every all 50 states on it. I think... Much harder than you might suspect. 
in ninth grade, like we did big ge- geography stuff in history class. And, like that was a lot of what we did. He would just give us a blank map and say like, fill it out. And he'd do it every week. And then like, we'd have to write all the states and stuff like that. Think you still got it? If you had a blank map? I could do pretty well, I think. I think I would probably run into trouble in like the middle middle. Like I think like east and west coast I'm good, bottom I'm pretty good, top I'm pretty good. That middle though would get a little iffy. Like the Nebraska's and such. I mean, you Nebraska. Got, you got North and, Nebraska uh, and, and South Vermont. Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Union of Vermont. It's crazy. One of the only states uh, that was its own country once upon a time. Truly. There is still like a weird radical movement for them to secede from the Union again. Really? Have, I believe it. There's Vermont's a got some book. I'd expect that from New Hampshire, really. I think I lent it to somebody, but it's called Free Radio Vermont. And it's like a very like Bernie Sanders independent brewing book about like a radio host who like goes off the rails and starts like broadcasting from a pirate station as like trying to get a following of people to get Vermont to secede again. Oh awesome. And like the government is like attacking him and all these people help him because they know him through his pirate radioing. It's crazy, but it's great. That's fucking awesome. It's a good thing. Vermont, cooler than most states. Honestly, ice cream, beer, snow, radio. Radio. <laughs> I think um, Patrick Leahy is actually currently a Vermont senator. Oh. Patrick Leahy, of course, the third person in line to be president and a Batman super fan. I said Would you I like to elaborate for the people? Fine. Um, so he's the third in line. If Nancy... Pl- if President Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and Nancy Pelosi all die in a terrible accident. Hot air ballooning, let's say. He will become president. He has been in five Batman films, the most of any particular actor. Um, He fell in love with Batman as a kid, and all of his Batman money goes to the library where he first read a Batman comic as a child. How did he feel about Bat-Kid? How do I feel? How did he feel? Bat-Kid. What is Bat-Kid? Bat-Kid was a a dying child... (laughs) Oh, dear God. Um, who <laughs> oh, I remember. was like, oh. got to be Batman. And I'm the sure he city, like, it. the Batmobile was there. and Could you imagine if the celebrity they got was Patrick Leahy? <laughs> like, we couldn't get any of the real Batman, but here's <laughs> Vermont State Senator and Batman Superfan, Patrick Leahy. He's just like, I met the Joker once. <laughs> here's an American flag pin. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I'm... Tries to tassel his hair, but there isn't oh, any. Oh, stop. <laughs> I'm bald, too. <laughs> oh, Patrick. Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. Patrick. Okay, Max, we gotta do this. Yeah, we gotta get, it's it, gonna be get rough. into it. Okay. The year is 2018. A documentary director named Jennifer Fox is making her first narrative film, and it is called The Tale. And it is based on a story she wrote as a 13-year-old girl. Oh. Yes. And this story was about a, um, I'm going to say inappropriate relationship she had with her horse riding instructor and separately running coach in a weird, like, two-adult, one-girl-child threesome thing. Oh, God. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. It's not good. Um, so we open, like, it's her playing herself. Or it's Laura Dern playing her. And it starts with her, like, being a documentarian, because, of course, she is. And she's, like, just in this foreign country, and she's just, like, videotaping people. And the documentary that she is making during the course of this, we never really see. We just see bits and pieces. But it's about, like, 
intimacy and sex like in other nations and stuff like that and it kind of ties into the upsetting tales of sex that will um come so she's on her way back she's back in a city she's in a taxi and she gets a call from her mom who's a famous actress and i forgot to write her name down but she's take care of she's it. a nice lady and she's like freaking out and she's like i found this story you wrote you wrote when you were little are you okay i'm worried about you and she mails it to her all this happens and then she goes home and her boyfriend played by common for some reason no i mean fun. cool it's nice but like that seems like a weird like studio thing like we know you're trying to tell this traumatic story about your life and sex but can we can we make your partner common and maybe common is her actual person i don't know but anyway so they have sex and afterwards, she's kind of flashing to the past, and we see, like, a 15-year-old girl, like, in, like, the 60s, and it's very... It almost looks very much like the Cherry Hill book she did recently, like, how everything looks and how people are dressed, and it's, like, this beautiful younger woman who's, like, her horse instructor, and this, like, handsome younger fella who's the running coach, and they're just, like, showing these people and, like, exerting clips from the tale, which happens throughout the film. And I, I will say, um... Perhaps some reason it reminds you of Cherry Hill. She's from Narberth, Pennsylvania. Laura Dern? Jennifer Fox. Ah. Well, there you go. Uh, it is... I... Ooh. I didn't think about it. It is very, like... I guess she would live in New York and her mom and stuff live in, like, Pennsylvania area. That would make a lot of sense. So she calls her mom. Um, they're talking about it. Her mom is clearly upset. And they're talking about the running coach who's played by John Hurd. This, of course, will be John Hurd's last film. Help you may know him as the dad from Home Alone. Oh, Or gotcha. a skeezy detective in every other film ever. Yeah. Um, and he's like a big Olympic coach now. Like, he has a lot of accolades. He's well-known, obviously. Like, no, no stories of abuse have broken about him yet. Um, and then we kind of, it kind of, we, it unravels a little more and we learn about, like, the relationship between all of them. It's a lot of flashbacks to her inter... It's a lot of flashbacks of what happened then, and then later what actually happened, like, as she remembers things, like, works through the trauma. And then there's bits where we see the char- the younger characters, and she's interviewing them in a documentary style. So it's very interesting. Like, she'll just be interviewing the younger woman who abused her, but, like, just as herself, like, interviewing her as if it were a documentary. It's very interesting. Mm. So she's starting to, like revisit these people like her mom she revisits one of her like younger friends from when she was at like the horse riding camp and then she realizes that she was younger than she remembered herself so then we cut back again and she's 13 instead of 15 and like clearly younger like in all of this and it gets much weirder from here on out and something i should throw in body doubles were used for all of the graphically sexual scenes and they put a little card at the end which is fair um So body doubles being adults. Yes. Small bodies. Yes. Small adults placing for young women who are incredibly upset. I didn't know there was an opportunity there for... There you go, Max. This could be your shot. (laughs) You can tell someone's sexual trauma with your small demeanor and long girlish hair. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. So she's at this camp. She's like training to run with this older guy, like for stamina, which is a thing that will come up later in a gross way. And she's now she's teaching. Like she also teaches 
and it's like a very realistic scene of like a film school class like it's very fun and like Laura Dern is a great teacher like I would love to have her as a teacher for any subject she's very like lively she's like teaching the kids how to interview somebody in a documentary it's very like goofy you know it's, oh, yeah. it's fun college it's like community college it doesn't matter <laughs> Um, and then she goes off to the farm to visit now old, by the way, the woman's name was Miss G, the horse trainer, and the John Hurt's character is Bob. And of course, we only see John Hurt once or twice. We mainly see the younger representations. Um, so she goes off to the farm to see old Mrs. G, who's played by the old witch from American Horror Story, The Witch Season. That's her. Didn't watch the One of our four listeners will know exactly who I'm talking about. She also was not in the IMDb list at all, which confused me, but who's to say? Who knows? And her mom is, like, insisting that she makes this a project and, like, tries to nail them and, like, wears a wire and all this stuff. And it feels weird, but, like, I get it. Like, it it seems like it could be intrusive, but it also seems like Laura Dern understands. But also, this whole time Laura Dern is refusing to accept that she was abused. She continually says, like, I had a relationship with them. And, like, it was the 70s, like, all these things to try to make it sound okay and to herself. And then she, like, she goes to the farm. The guys is for a riding lesson. And there's this other woman there who now runs it. And she was one of the little girls originally, like, in the beginning. And she's being a bitch to her for a weird reason. But then we never see her again. So I guess that was just, like, a side thing. Um, And then we cut to Laura Dern at, like, a youth competition. Like, at the end of the camp, they would all ride and, like, do their thing and get a little medal. And Miss G tells her, like, oh, you have to stay an extra night. Your family can't come yet. And then, like, they take her out to eat, and they just, from the get-go, start grooming her. They, like, start talking to her like an adult and telling her secrets, like, that they're lovers secretly. And Oh, so they're they're doing it together. It's not, like, yeah. too disparate. No. Kind of like, and at one... Abusive relationships. At one point later, we learned there was, like, an older girl who was also involved with both of them and, like, would have been involved with um, Laura Dern's character had things continued but um she says that miss g was basically the cat bringing the mouse back for him so it was like a mutually abusive relationship gotcha like she in, was involved in it but she was like the person like the comfortable woman who would like bring the girls in and yeah. then he would the galane exactly galane maxwell last podcast on the left anyway um, so they start writing, like, she goes away for the summer with her family, and she's just so upset because she's with her family, and she's, like, a 13-year-old, so she, you know, she's insufferable. Yeah. And oh, she, God. she hates her parents, and granted, her parents aren't great, because it's the 70s and her parents, but, you know, <laughs> they're trying, There was kind no of. such thing. <laughs> her dad is very, like, you know, a dad in the 70s. He's just not great. Like, at one point... Um, Bob comes to pick up Laura Dern alone, and he's like, oh, I'm her running coach, I'm just taking her to Miss G's, because she was tied up with something, and her mom, her mom is, as soon as they leave, her mom is like, that was fucking weird, and she goes to talk to her dad, and the dad was like, what are you talking about, stupid woman? Look, he gave us these gifts, it's fine. And I was like, ooh. But, um, she starts, um, as time goes by, she's spending more and more time there, like, she'll go there after school every day, and then for the weekends, and then, like... Bob starts to get her alone and do stuff and, like, I'm not going to go into huge detail because it's not great, but, like, stretching is involved and, like, blood the first time. Is it is it under a guise of training? No, it becomes, like, he... Is ah, it a, a romantic... Yes. 
like her he, suit? Yes. Like, he has her at her house, at his house, and he has her reading poetry, and then, like, he sits with her, and then he's like, I want to see you, like, without a shirt on, and then, like, it just slow, like, he talks a lot about, like, he does, like, marriage is evil, and he wants, like, a, a non-monogamous thing with, like, him, Miss G, her, and the older college girl. Right. And, like, it just keeps getting, like, more and more culty, almost. Which is weird, because it's only, like, five people, but it's definitely, yeah, like, a... Yeah, I mean, you see the same power dynamics. Yeah, it's... Ooh. It's not great. I'll tell you that much. And so, is she intrigued, scared, attracted? Um, I mean, she seems pretty into it, but, like, it seems definitely like a kid following an older kid. Like, yeah. every time they do something, she, like, throws up and is just so anxious afterwards, but, like, she doesn't understand that it's correlation. She's just like, oh, this just happens. And um, then... Oh, so we're... We, we're back to present, and she leaves out all her childhood things, and she's like, her letters, the letters between her and him, and her and uh, Miss G, and Common finds them, and they're just like sitting out, and <laughs> Lord, <laughs> exactly. That, as the movie gets more serious, I have more and more trouble with the fact that Common, Common is in this pops movie. Back in. It's not like he's this. I mean, he's an actor, but like not, yeah. not in a way that I feel he should be in. But anyway, anyway, um, he like is just looking at this stuff, and Lord Jordan just like hits no it doesn't hit him but she's like what are you doing this is my personal childhood stuff and in my mind i'm just like you let it sit out but so he's he basically says like you were raped by this guy and she like f- completely freaks out on him she won't listen to any of it he says like have you considered therapy and she just starts like really going off on him about like you don't understand me you never understand me. And he's like, we've been together six years. And she's like, fuck you. And then he says, what about the ring I gave you? And she's like, you think I care about a fucking ring? You don't understand me. And then she's just like, I'm leaving. And then he said, no. It's just, it's this huge blowout fight. And I was like, this seems incredibly realistic to probably what happened, because all of this is based on what actually happened. And I was like, ooh. So this was her... Heavy. Like, when, how long ago is this movie taking place? It seems... When did she confront this as an adult? I, the movie came out in 2018. I mean, there are, like, I didn't look into the actual stories, and, like, I don't know if she had done, like, documentary work on this. I didn't see anything that stuck out in her filmography. But I would say, like, there were cell phones. The camera she was using looked pretty modern. She was teaching at a school maybe, like, two, between 2010 and 2013, give or take. Maybe a little earlier. Wow. okay. But, yeah. That's intense, like, to be... To make a narrative film about your trauma as a filmmaker, yeah, it some levels, some serious fucking levels. It's, I mean, I could like, j- like I'm just now considering the fact that like she had to make all this based on what she had gone through, and it's it's a lot. It's very heavy. Um, so we flash back to the scene where Bill picks her up, and she, like she as a child is behaving very much like a embarrassed teenager who like doesn't want her parents like talk to her boyfriend and like the mom is picking up on this and it's really weird uh bad stuff is clearly happening uh bill drops her off at one point and the her grandmother sees bill kiss her and the grandmother is like freaking out but the grandmother never actually told her parents so that was like a weird subplot in 70s man because like laura dern is talking to her mom as an adult and, like, they're kind of 
not fighting, but like talking very passionately about what had happened. And she mentions this and the mom is like, she never told me. And Laura Dern said she was probably abused and it like just generational stuff. Yeah. Um, she starts, she gets Mr. G's phone. Uh, sorry. She confronts Miss G. She like goes to her house late at night and she is basically saying like, why did you let them do this to me? And Miss G is just like completely avoiding it and pushes her out of the house. Uh, she gets Ben's phone number and just starts calling him and he won't answer at all. She just John keeps... Heard. Yeah. And his his voice message is now John Heard. Okay. So there you go. Interesting. Um, we go back to class and she's clearly like, oh, she's not doing great. She's clearly burnt out, like not doing well. And she, compared to like her earlier teaching, she is now just like a complete like bat out of hell. She like she made, she pulls up this person and starts interviewing her and says like, "Tell me about your first sexual experience," because like because it's just she's just not processing her trauma well. Exactly, and like the woman is like is like a little off put, and then Laura Dern's like, it, "You need to learn to talk about this stuff if you want to do this for a living," which is fair. And the woman basically just tells of this very nice, sweet experience that was like very consensual and mutual, and Laura Dern is just like staring at her like. <laughs> like a, I don't even know how to describe it, but very clearly she is just so upset and doesn't know how to deal with this and hearing somebody talk about that. And then like we see intercuts of her documentary she's making where people are talking about sex and it's like some is negative, some is positive, but it's basically all better than the experience that she had. And she's just like falling apart at the seams over this. Uh, she then like remember, she's starting to now like work through her trauma a little bit, remember details that she was, like, blocking out. She remembers the older girl, and she goes and talks to her, and, like, it's just, like, that's the moment when it breaks, kind of, because she's talking to this girl, and Laura Dern just keeps insisting on calling what she had, like, a relationship, and she says, like, did they ever talk to you about having a foursome with them and you, which seems like a really weird thing to, like, bring up within five minutes of meeting someone again after 20 years, but... She just, like, it starts to unravel, and she starts to see that, oh, I was abused and groomed, and all of this terrible stuff happened to me. And then, like, there's some pretty graphic scene. Like, again, we see, like, the most graphic, like, the most she's going to remember in the film of, like, sexual experiences with Bill at his house and all that. And, like, stamina comes up again for reasons I don't want to go into. And then she remembers basically breaking up with them. Like, she was going to go for a weekend at where the foursome was going to happen, and she got, like, super sick. Like, she couldn't leave the house. She calls Bill and says, like, I don't want to see you anymore. And Bill is sobbing, and he says, like, I love you. We can make this work. And I was just like, ooh, she's, like, 13. Man, I wonder if this is going to mess her up. It did a little. And then she calls Miss G, and she's like, way, it's way less fanfare. She's just like, hey, I'm picking up my horse next week. And Miss G's like, okay. And then she hangs up and she walks over to a table and she's just like, stupid girl, stupid, stupid girl. And, oh man, she's, we then see her reading her story in class as a child, which, fuck, it's, it's a pretty graphic story. And then the teacher's like, where did you come up, come up with this? And the girl's just like, oh, I made it up. And then the teacher just starts teaching. And I was like, that seems like a enormous yeah, red flag, but hey. As a mandated reporter <laughs> these days, uh, I don't think you just... But hey, as the as the saying goes, it was the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my god. I don't even know where to go after this. So we then see her as a child, and it's like one of those documentary scenes again, where she's interviewing her younger self, and we kind of like see her sowing the seeds of her trauma, like in real time. Like she's like, "I won. 
he loved me. Like, I was the one that beat him. And, like, I'll never have kids or get married or feel love again, but, like, I still won over this one person. And, like, he'll send me cards for years because he still thinks about me, which did happen. And it's just like, oh, my God. She says, um, I'm not the victim, I'm the hero, which pretty much, like, helps you understand how she feels for the rest of the movie up to now. And then she decides she's going to confront Bill now, which is a great idea. So she goes to this, like, award thing, and she runs into him, and he's like, he sees her, and he, like, talks for a second, and he's like, do I? Who, who are you? What are we? Who are you? And then she explains, and he's like, oh, and he tries to, like, touch her hair, and she, like, backs away. And they talk for a second, and then she starts to, like, very loudly talk about, like, sex stuff, like, like, I can't even think of what she said, but she's like... Uh, do, do you remember fucking me? Do you remember how I bled and like all this stuff really loudly? And his like wife is there, and it's very awkward, obviously. And then like he's wait, this is her at what age? Now, oh, this is now. She gotcha. like confronts him. Common is in the car waiting for her, gotcha. obviously. And uh, she does all this stuff, and then he's like he's freaking out because obviously, and there were others. Like this is a huge thing, and he knows that this could break, and he just screams like it was you. It wasn't me, it was you. You didn't believe me or you didn't trust me or something like that. And then he runs out and then Laura Dern goes to the bathroom to cry and then she sits with her younger self next to her. And that's the movie. Holy shit. Yeah, it was... It was a movie. You said you liked it, yeah? It was good. It was interesting. Like, I feel like I haven't seen a lot of movies that were made by documentarians. And you could definitely tell it was just like in the style that she used, what she knew on top of, like, her own story and then, like, narrative devices of normal movies. But, yeah, it was it was a lot. I didn't expect it. I thought it was going to be fun. Like, when I read the initial description, I don't think I fully read it, and I was just like, uh, something about, like, a trial and a 13-year-old girl who wrote a story and then her as an adult. I was like, this will be fun. Yeah, this will be a nice little movie. And then I watched it yesterday afternoon before going to work, and I was like, oh, God. You know, I didn't have a good shift, and maybe this movie Maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe this movie got you a pay yeah, this, raise. This movie was so sad that John Hurt died <laughs> right after it was made. Imagine that being your last movie. You play a literal monster. Not even in most of the film. Like, pictures of you, your voice, and then you at the end. And then you die. It's crazy. Um, my, my smile at this yeah. sentiment will will reveal itself a bit more when I cover my movie, which has some serious parallels. Good. Good. I'm glad we... I'm glad I randomly organized these movies to just pile on the These... This... Yeah. These are two peas in a pod. Well, hey, next week is gonna be a fucking riot compared to this week. I... Any week is gonna be a riot (laughs) compared to this week. You're not gonna like next week. But it'll be fine. What's between your turns, Max? That is a wonderful question. Before I get into my durns, Nick, I would like to revive an old segment (laughs) that I did one time, Ah, very ad hoc, and that is Nick on the spot trivia question. Oh boy, it always goes well. We've got a doozy for you today. Let me put my Um, trivia glasses on. I will say in advance, those are appropriately lame Thank so you. i bought them from a vans store they are when i bought my vans hexagonalish hexagon adjacent lenses very novelty hexagon adjacent is jason sudeikis's rap name i'm sorry <laughs> i don't know why hey i kind of i like that hexagon adjacent um i will say in advance this trivia question is my favorite 
ever. Yes. And the reason it's my favorite is because it sounds... One, it's quite a... You might not expect it, the, this fact. Um, but then to learn, once you hear of the fact, there's only one answer that makes sense. And it's one you can get to. Uh-huh. Um, even if it sounds like you have no fucking clue. So the question is, who has the record for most consecutive Academy Award nominations with 22 from 1942 to 1963? 42 to 63. And Academy Awards is television, correct? It's film. Oh, it is? The Oscars. Oh, damn. Because I was going to say The Wonderful World of Disney, but that's television. I feel like you asked me another question relative to this, and that's what I thought it was going to be, the one about uh, Motown? No. Um, oh, Soul Train. Soul Train. That was, in fact, the first that's what iteration was, of this. Segment. I was, like, back of my brain thinking. The most nominations. Could it be a production company, or does it have to be a person? These. Are, this is the is record it? for individual. Okay. For, like, the way Best Picture, it's, like... It might just be the director who gets, like, the named credit. But, you know, it's like the awards went for... It wasn't, like, best actor, yeah. necessarily. I mean, is it Walt Disney? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was, I was like, I was kind of hoping you would trail off um, and <laughs> you, not You were, and not you were hoping back. I'd go on a 20-minute loop. <laughs> I did, because that's what I did. This is the proudest I've ever been of myself at Bar Trivia, because this one... I heard it, and I was like, that's fucking insane. What? And I was like, no, okay, no director, no actor. Even Meryl Streep wouldn't come close to a nomination every year, so it's not something like that. No director would ever make a movie every year Mm -hmm. that would be nominated, um, like a full-length film. And then I thought, okay, it's got to be one of those random ones, costuming, you know, something like that. So, okay, someone could in that if they're just, like, top of their game... But then I wouldn't, but then it wouldn't be a trivia question because mm-hmm. no one knows any of those people. Um, and so what about the shorts? And I thought it was like, okay, shorts, what about the animated ones? And I was like, oh, it's fucking Walt Disney. And we're battling with the smart team that was way better than us. And they were kind of shit talking. Um, and I got that and like fucking got up and berated them. <laughs> Because they got it wrong. Every, I think every team had a different answer. Hmm. And I got to a wall. Elias Disney. <sighs> I can't wait for them to Elias. Out. Like yeah. the Sports Bureau. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yes. yes. As you are familiar, ah, of I course. Do. I do love a sport. <laughs> <laughs> Historical sporting statistics. <laughs> That's my game. Um... <laughs> Well um, done. We can, in fact, continue. Thank As you. everyone I... knows, if Nick does not answer correctly, we end the show, not just for the episode, but indefinitely. Yeah, I, I bite into that cyanide capsule in my back molar and just end it all. And it's over. I wish I had a... That trivia question I did about the Batman man, that would have been a good one to say for this bit, but I don't have anything else, so... Oh, this is a one-way bit. Continue. Oh, okay. You don't... <laughs> yes, of course. St. Stumps the Schwab, baby. <laughs> you always pick the best queer person, and I always pick the best the answer the to a trivia question. Yes. Those Good. are in the bylaws. Ellen DeGeneres and Walt Disney. 
Um, yeah, I had, I, I kept thinking about that afterwards. I was like, was that the right choice? Is, is Ellen in fact a That kept lesbian? you up at night? A little bit, yeah. Well, um, Ellen keeps me up at night too. <laughs> Just so damn funny. She is. My God, she can do it all. I was thinking about, I don't think I mentioned, um, last time that my favorite, my favorite Ellen stand-up bit where she's eating, where she's talking about Gogurt. And how now there's yogurt for when you're on the go. And she's like, yeah, because yogurt was such a such a time-consuming task. Before then, she talks about, like, she's eating yogurt. She gets a call, like, ah, oh, no, I'd love to, but, you know, I just cracked open this yogurt. She's like, no, no, yep, yeah, it's the kind of fruit on the bottom. Uh, mm. So good. That's a good bit. I do bit. have a VHS tape I have not watched yet. I think it's called Women of the Night, and it's like an HBO special of female comedians, <laughs> and so she's funny. on it, and I think Paula Poundstone. I really need to watch that sometime, because I love both of them. I bet you do love Paula Poundstone. I do. She she's I. There was a good year and a half stretch where I religiously listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR mm-hmm. news quiz, and she is a frequent panelist. Yeah, frankly, the lamest chapter in Nicholas's life. Honest, I'm starting to now like detach myself from podcasts that i listen to but don't anymore and it's very hard for me but like you know i unsubscribe from sawbones i just it it doesn't do it for me anymore i tried sawbones didn't grab me yeah i i will occasionally listen to uh their main cast uh my brother my brother and me but oh that's the sawbones yes one sawbones adjacent uh the sawbones the husband is one of the brothers oh but so i mean it's cool there's definitely a few episodes i saved oh they're they are a podcast dynasty the more you know the more you know or the less because whatever yeah well um (laughs) podcasts are dumb yeah (laughs) don't listen they're made up hogwash (laughs) um what's between my turns I want to talk about, because we both agreed, we don't believe I talked about this last time, um, a show I did not think I would enjoy Mm -hmm. that I loved. And the reason I didn't think I'd enjoy it is because it stars Jason Sudeikis, who is funny and skilled, Mm -hmm. but has a cockiness. (laughs) But frankly, a deal breaker. (laughs) (laughs) Has a cockiness about him. I find he's often... Kind of Will Ferrell adjacent in, like, a type of humor I've grown out of a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't love him. I don't go out of my way to watch, except that a couple of people said, check out Ted Lasso. And he plays a college football coach who goes to teach uh, or to coach for a professional British soccer team. Which is a fun little, yeah. right? Which is a fun little gimmick. Um, it's got, like, major league vibes, <laughs> if you've ever seen those. Like, that's how it feels like it might go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he doesn't know anything about soccer. He's sort of an aw shucks guy. But why I frankly loved it is his character is the opposite of the cocky character I kind of associate him with. Um Horrible Bosses would be a great example of, like, just a bad movie and Jason Sudeikis being <laughs> a small but not at all near complete part of that bad Horrible movie. Bosses containing famous monster... Jennifer Aniston? No, uh, I wish... If I had his name, that would have been a good thing. Good sentence there. Um, American Beauty. 
Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, famous monster. Yeah, I mean, well, you can look at his his catalog, and there's some great stuff. Oh yeah, right. Hey, recount made it into my top ten endurance. He was go. he was good in it. I mean, look at a uh... Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Look at the LA guy. Confidential. Look at the guy that played the chef in Queen Latifah's best movie, uh, Last Holiday. I don't know who that I guy was. Jean de Depardieu or something. First of all, until this year, Gerard Depardieu. Yes. Until this year, I did not know he was an actor. I thought he was a celebrity chef that was in that movie because he played a chef. That's so funny. And I, that literally convinced until this year. But this year, I also found out that he was arrested on rape charges like last week. What? So, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Well, I thought we'd have Famous one segment monster. where we wouldn't talk Gerard about Gerard Depardieu. Every single segment has <laughs> raped today. The, the movie Last Holiday has been tainted. Oh, God. Um, Ted Lasso, rape yes. free. Um, Endorsement. He is, so he's like an Oshuck Southern football coach. Mm-hmm. But we learn he's deeply caring and passionate and loving and has like the biggest heart on the planet and the the um the owner of the football team is a woman who's like i hired him to sabotage the team because my shitty ex-husband divorced me and i want his team that he loves to fail because i got the team now my god um but it's and she's not the villain, right? She becomes a real character, and Ted Ted Lasso's heart gets to her, Aww. breaks through her iciness, um, and he brings the team together, and it's got, it is a, a lovely, touching show, and I think a kind of important one in terms of that, like, highlighting goodness as a valuable, compelling, and fun, like, uh, as a strength, um... It, it tugs at the heartstrings big time. So, recommended. Um, I've also been re-watching one of my favorite shows the last couple of years, and that is Succession. Oh, have you watched it? I have not. Oh, fuck. <laughs> what a wonderful show. Um, it's... It's um, so engaging and very much a drama... But also one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. Like, every character is brilliantly funny in an almost, like, Seinfeldian, or it's always, like, everyone's a monster in their own way, um, but it does really mine a lot of humor from it in a very dramatic, intense um, show about a very rich family <laughs> and some wonderful performances. Jeremy Strong got an Emmy for his role as Kendall Roy and completely deserved amazing performance. Um, watch it. It's so fucking I, good. I'm, it's I a, a joyride. I finished my first uh, Rich Family show, Shit's Creek, so I need a new Rich Family yeah, show. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, if you want one that's if, more comedy and less drama, but also very good HBO Rich Family show, I'd say um, The Righteous Gemstones. You know, I... I just recently got access to an HBO account, and I remember when that first came out, I just saw the trailers, and I was like, that is going to be the funniest thing. It, and I do yeah. need to and get into it. That and Succession feel similar, where that's more comedy, and Succession's more drama. But they're both very funny, and they're both very dramatic. Hmm. Um, Good to know. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels. The third thing, and final thing between my durance, is this book, Why We Sleep. Hmm. Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams by Matthew Walker Fudd. Fudd. 
Fud, P P H little H D. Fud. Um, <laughs> it's I love it. I just started it. My roommate lent it to me, and it feels like the best self help book I'm ever gonna read because it's not a self help book because it's a it it's this really deep dive into sleep and highlighting the importance and like encouraging the reader that this is in fact like massive benefits to getting full sleep it's super cool and like the history of how they discovered things hmm. um i'll give you one little tidbit oh please do uh so they're one of the first breakthrough studies on sleep is in the 1700s there is a plant that um in the daytime it opens up and at nighttime it closes down hmm. and so it's a very interesting plant for that reason and so this French dude did this study where he put it in complete darkness and with like controlled darkness was able to observe it and see what it did in complete darkness with the assumption that without being able to see any sunlight that it would not open. Um, but that is not the case. A plant that without any sun whatsoever, a plant on a 24 hour clock will have that kind of wake and sleep time um, determined by the circadian rhythm that I didn't realize the fucking plants have. So there's cool shit like that, and it's only, like, getting more exciting and feels like I've thought about my sleep and will recognize how much I need to focus better on getting enough sleep. Um, And I think I'm going to. It feels very empowering. Nice. So recommended so far. I am trying to read 52 books this year, so I very well might make that one of them. Hey. All right. Any any books between your derns? Uh, you there's a lot between my derns because it has been a busy, however many weeks it's been since we did this. Um, I did. I read my last David Rakoff book. He is a very funny, very queer, very Jewish man who died a few years ago of cancer. But he wrote some very good books before he did that. I think there are only four. I just read the last one of his collection. It is called... Oh, crap. Um, Half Empty, I think. It's pretty good. It's just a bunch of kind of essays about stuff from throughout his life, like working as a journalist at a uh, failing uh, porn convention. Okay. Um, That was a very good story. There's the story about his cancer coming back and losing the ability to use his right arm. That's basically how the book ends. And then he wrote one more book and then he died. But yeah, I'm glad he got one more. And that sounds like it would have ended on a a real downer. The last book was a book which I lent to a friend and it has been missing now for over two years. But it's fine, Jules. You'll get it back to me eventually, maybe. Um, Don't you know? There's no such thing as a lent book. I know. And I asked, Which I realized after I lent you House of Leaves. Oh, you're going to get that back. Actually, I do think I'm going to start that within the year. My, I just started my big like side book project right now. It's Dante's Inferno. Ooh. But once that is over, it's House of Leaves. As and, I said, it's, it's not easy. Oh, I was, but I leafed through it the other rewarding. day. I'm excited. Very challenging book to read. But, oh, the payoff. <laughs> the payoff. But, um, yeah, so David Rakoff, there is actually a great episode they put out usually every other year on uh, This American Life called Our Friend David. I would suggest you listen to it. Oh, that's who this is. Yes, that I forgot that I have already done. I read some of his essays. Yeah, but um, he's fascinating. Um, Right now I am reading Something Wicked This Way Will Come for the first time. 
that? What is that? It is a Ray Bradbury book about a evil circus coming to town and enticing and cursing two young boys. Really? Yes. Oh, great. It is very good. Like, I didn't like, know Ray Bradbury ever got that pulpy. It's... It's, I, first of all, in the opening, there's like this, just a three page thing where it says like everything he's ever written and where you can get it. I was like, that's a lot of stuff. There's a, there's a quote on the cover from Stephen King saying like, this is my favorite scary book. And I was like, well, I should read it. It's very good. It like some of it rhymes and then like it jumps around characters and it's just like, it's a book that I feel very smart reading now, but I know as a child, I would have been like, it would have been like a book that a teacher would have to explain to you. Like, you see that? That means that she's taught like that. That's an allusion to sex. Like. It's just, I love it. Alrighty, movies. We got five movies. We're going to rush through this. There were way more, but those are the new big ones. I finally watched Grey Gardens. Oh, I haven't seen that. Which, oh, it's on HBO. It's just a fantastically weird documentary about two, it's eccentric, um, um, Kennedy adjacent. Yes, um, what was her name? Jackie. Jackie's cousin and her mother, I believe. And they are just... Like, the directors were making another movie and they met them and they were like, well, we gotta (laughs) do this now. And they just live in this run-down mansion and, like, they're just two old, baddie, crazy women. One of them has alopecia and she wears, like, sweaters on her head tied around to cover it. I've seen... Yeah. Like, there's... You undoubtedly have seen some allusion to it on, like, a cartoon or something. But it was nutty. And, like, yeah, it's something. Uh, I watched a Joe Pesci movie called Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. Really? It's also on HBO. With um, David Spade? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And the, oh, my I God. I remember wanting to like that as a, a youngster. It and is a, It felt too adult for me. It is an least. awful, nutty film, which just has a bunch of gags involving eight, eight human heads, heads in, in a duffel, duffel bag. bag. Joe Pesci's in it. Every time Joe Pesci's in a movie and every story I hear about him, I'm just so confused. What is that man doing with his life? He's, yeah, he he's in guy. movies like this and Home Alone, but also he's like the toughest real-life gangster ever. I just... I don't get it, man. He's having fun. He is. He's a guy. He's... He's alive. Uh, I finally got to see Mannequin. I believe you covered that last time. Did I? Yeah. I don't think I finished it. Anyway, A Mannequin Comes Alive, great movie, filmed in Philadelphia. Estelle Getty's in it, the youngest golden girl. Okay, now the big one. The hot one. Yes. No. No. Estelle Getty was the mom. She was the oldest. She played the oldest one, but she was actually the youngest one. Oh, she was the youngest? Oh, I didn't know that. I think it took like an hour to make her up to be older. Yeah, she looked ancient. What was her name? She had class. Estelle Getty. No, I know. What was the girl? girl It was Blanche Devereaux, but I don't remember. Blanche was the hot one. Yeah. No, that's what I meant. Who was Estelle Getty? Estelle Getty played the mom. What was her name? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, Ma. They they just called her Ma. I want to say it's Dot. No, it's not Dot. Is there a Dot? No. Blanche. Blanche. Rose was the the kind Betty of, White. Oh, but Rose is Betty White. I'm pretty sure. And then I can't remember B. Arthur's name in the show. Um, I don't know. This doesn't oh, matter though. This so does not. Sisterhood of the Traveling Get Pants. Back to what matters. One and everything two. else we talk about. My God, I really? Yeah, I good? yes, I think they're good. Um, I had I was watching them, and like in the first one, there was like a five-minute sloth that I very specifically remember from seeing when I was, like, way younger, and the rest of it was just, like, new to me. 
but man, it is like such a good early 2000, like my big fat Greek wedding adjacent movie. Is it? I don't actually, I never, I never read it. I knew there were some girls when I was in high school where it like, it was very meaningful. I mean, hey, pants, everyone wears them. Yep. That's how you connect to the youth. So in my, I'll, in my mind, I assume it's like a coming of age or like, yeah, like a now and then. Kind of. I mean, it's like, that, it's like the, over the, the, the... stand by me. I mean, it's like girls over summer and they're all going different places and doing different things. Like they send these pants that magically can fit all of them and it helps like connect them. And like, I don't even like the first one, nothing crazy happens. Like one of them falls in love. Two of them fall in love. One of them. The second one, one of them goes to space. What? what, (laughs) Shut up. No. Do you know that was in the. Forrest Gump? Yeah, the Forrest yeah. Gump book, the sequel, and no, the movie they no, were going to make. I can't think of stuff but that But then 9-11 happened, and... Oh, that I didn't know. 9-11 is 9/11 the reason they did not Forrest produce Gump the two? second film, yeah. Forrest Gump 2 was in the they second were like, tower? I think, like, I read a quote, they were literally like, it, it was a too sad of a climate, we couldn't go forward, and Tom Hanks wouldn't be involved anymore. Which would affirm the fact that that was not going to be a good movie. Because if they knew they had a great movie on their hands, yeah. that would be what we needed. I mean, that would have healed us all. Look at My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It came out in 2002. Yeah. That's what America needed. Yeah. If Forrest Gump had come out right after 9-11, I think... My God, there would be lot, dancing be in the streets. Fewer dead Iraqis. Like, <laughs> that... <laughs> my God. You know what? You're right. I wish they would have made it without Tom. Like, if they had some other, like, younger, like, if they had, like, I don't even know who would Colin play. Hanks would be a terrible Forrest no. Gump. That'd be great, though. Can you imagine him, like, usurping his dad? Like, his dad's like, I don't want you to do this, and he just does it One anyway. One thing you can never do. <laughs> you can't touch Gump. <laughs> that's mine. That's my baby. <laughs> that you're my baby, too, but I'll kill you. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. I bet he he's still raking in those Bubba Gump. Bubba Gump restaurant checks you think Tom Hanks still oh, has money sure. coming in oh yeah yes I think so <laughs> just that nothing else pays off anymore but that restaurant chain that that's he's... like one of 50 income streams that would make <laughs> anyone ungodly rich I'm sure <laughs> you could buy a town for what he makes just off of restaurant money but yeah um one of the girls makes a movie with a dying girl like a twelve-year-old who's dying of leukemia, and then she like dies. Like that kid. Yeah, exactly like that kid. And then in the second one, like one of them gets almost pregnant. It's you know, it's a movie. They're movies. Yeah. Pants. Go find them. That's my urge to our listeners: go find some magic pants at a thrift store. Well, Max, I d- yeah, I, enough I, of the lights. I've gotten way too happy thinking yep. about magic pants and sleep books. Oof. Let's hear about that blackbird. Yes. Um, let me pull up my notes here. I saw a film from 1995 on the Showtime Network. That's what it was a TV movie made for Showtime. America's favorite TV movie station. Called Down Came a Blackbird. Um, this movie was directed by Jonathan Sanger, who I was like, just a, has produced everything. It didn't do much directing. Um, yeah, he did a lot of producing. It was <laughs> executive produced by Laura Dern. Interesting. Um, yeah. Laura Dern's French cousin. Very. <laughs> <laughs> and it was written by a man named Kevin Droney, 
who <laughs> also wrote in the same year this I movie came like out. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> um, Mortal Kombat. Oh my god! And oh. once we get through this movie, I hope everyone appreciates how funny that is. <laughs> also note, that will not be the last reference to a mediocre mid-90s video game adaptation film during this segment. That that fact, just right off the bat, instantly reminded me of um, the fact that Santa Has Muscles was produced by uh, the Wolf of Wall Street guy, and he wound up going to jail Jordan like, during the production. Yeah, I was, am we I talked familiar about with Santa Has Muscles. Oh yes, we've discussed. This is the one where um, Hulk Hogan oh, gets Hulk amnesia Hogan and yeah. is Santa then? Yeah. Yes, of course. How could we forget? Yeah. I don't know if Jordan Belfort would have made this movie, but hey, maybe... <laughs> oh, he'll, he'll make Santa Hesma. He'll make a prestige picture like that, but this... <laughs> um, My word. So, we have a very ominous opening. Oh, by the way, I couldn't find this movie at first until good old-fashioned YouTube in 11 parts, but don't let that deter you, listeners... Um, it's good quality. It's better quality than any of the YouTube vids I've been stuck with on this podcast. Isn't it funny how half of her movies are just on YouTube for free now? Yeah. Um, Power to the people. What can I say? We won. <laughs> we did it. The world's, the world's library is here. YouTube started with some dumb guy at a zoo, and here we are. <laughs> Most of Laura Dern's film library. Free for the taking. Um, so the... The intro is, like, black and white photos of just heads starting, um, starting zoomed really in, so you just see, like, the whole head is occupying the whole frame, Mm -hmm. and just slowly moves back and black around, just blackness behind it, and it's just, like, head, photograph, face, photograph, face, and they start getting faster, and the music gets intense, and it's, like, Whoa! What the fuck am I getting seems into? Intense. Yeah, and we. So first thing we get, bam! We get Dern. We get the action. We got Dern and a photographer, and they're like in. It's pretty clear right off the bat. You're like, oh, they're in like a Latin American country. There is political violence. There is a protest. There are tanks. There are like. People in paramilitary military gear. That is odd because that is exactly how my movie started. Essentially, she was like in a in a van in a foreign country, and she was like videotaping. In my movie, it was a celebration, but still, yeah, that is odd. Yeah, oh, the, the parallels. Oh, ooh, I'm ready. They're here. Um, so they they like take pictures. He's got like you know. Warzone photographer get up. He's got all the, the lenses and everything. And they're like running, they're active. They take a bunch of pictures and they flee. And they like get around a corner. They they kiss. They have like a big sexy Ooh. kiss. And you get you're like, oh, they're together. And but it's like this like we we narrowly escaped a very bad fate kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then they see a car pull up this way, like a guy down the way they're headed, a guy sees them and is at that end. And so they're like, it's like, turn around, let's go. And two cars pull up and they get separated and each thrown into one of these cars, unmarked cars. 
Um, and then Drivena disappeared. If anyone is familiar with that term, which is a, um, a term Joe what, Pesci knows oh too well. No, what many of these Latin American authoritative regimes did was disappearing political dissidents, and it was often get thrown in an unmarked car. And for many people, it was just, oh, they will never be seen again and will likely have a very horrible rest of their life. Um, too bad that didn't happen to Ted Cruz on his caribbean vacation he was doing it for the girls you know what he just he saw that movie coco and he wanted to know if that's how it really was down there (laughs) (laughs) are guitars real are there ghost skeletons everywhere i need to know (laughs) um we uh and so the the cars drive off yes one year later portland we get on obviously a title card. That's where actually that's where everyone got disappeared to. If you've ever been to Portland, there's a lot of young white homeless people. They're all people that got disappeared. I think most people get disappeared in Latin America are Latino. No, they're young white college students. Some who work not. an hour a week at a coffee shop yeah. and spend the rest of the time making bongo music for street money. <laughs> um Dern now has an unflattering sort of mid-90s mullet I cut. thought you were going to say beard. I don't know why. <laughs> That's a good turn. She's shackled up like the like on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. She's all greasy and she has a big beard. Um, <laughs> She's trying to get a dog to give her the keys. Jesus. Oh, God. Imagine... It's just going to be less funny. Once imagine the Pirates of the Caribbean ride... Movie. But all, like, middle-aged white actresses. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Jack Sparrow, it's Meryl Streep. I feel bad. That sounds and, like it could be a, a perfectly good fetish and I like, develop. The pirate with the dirty foot is just Renee Zellweger. I feel like we can really make a world out of this. But very sexually I'll work on this separately. This prospect. Let's talk about your That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, they... So, Dern... Unflattering haircut. I don't know if it's supposed to be unflattering or it's just 95 kind of sucked stylistically. Um, but she... We see her. Her place is a mess. She's alone. She, like, takes a swig of, like, some uh, some booze drink she had sitting out on a dirty table. Love that. Um, she's not, not doing too hot. Cuts to her in, like, an office, like... There's like an Amnesty International poster. It's like a global nonprofit something. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like small, scrappy, no money, chaotic little place. And her boss is saying she doesn't look okay. She says, I'm fine. And she says, We figure out she's a reporter. And she says, I want to, she's a journalist. She says, I want to do a story on this woman this torture survivor who ran a who runs a clinic for torture survivors and her, her boss is like again with the torture thing like ah yo, it's just <laughs> Come <on>. cold. um <laughs> and Jeez. and she's like well she was in concentration camps as a child this woman she herself is a torture survivor, like, I think there's a good angle there. And he's like, all right, sort of like a, a Mother Teresa thing. All right. And he's like, okay, you can do it. And so 
we get to now it cuts to like a nice restaurant and Dern is waiting and we see this very striking old woman in a floral suit like a very I never knew an old woman in a floral suit could look so awesome like this composed woman this very sort of makes makes a clear impression off the bat and this woman is Anna Lenke is the character, which is played by Vanessa Redgrave, hmm. who I did not know previously. Are you familiar? It sounds familiar, but it might just be like a glitzy old actress kind of name, and I'm just like remembering all of them. Yeah. Um, well, she's yeah. My my mom will know her. I know that much. <laughs> Your mom is just pointing and, at the and phone. And now, right now I'd like to expound on Vanessa Redgrave a little ah, bit because she is fascinating. Um, Tennessee Williams called her the greatest actress of our time. She's got the acting triple crown, which is the whole EGOS except the Grammy. Um, she was a British Shakespearean actress. She starred opposite James Earl Jones in a 2010 production of Driving Miss Daisy on Broadway. Oh, okay. I know who this is. I was in New York at the time and I remember seeing the, oh. the big billboard poster for that. Nice. Um, Man, they are both so old. <laughs> why, in, why are they doing plays? <laughs> in 19... Well, well, yeah, let's keep going. In 1977, she won an Oscar for the film Julia, where she played an anti-fascist activist... Julia Child. <laughs> ...who was murdered by the Nazi regime <laughs> in the years prior to World War II. Um, to describe her as an actress, I'd like to quote her co-star from this film, Jane Fonda at length here. There is a quality about Vanessa that makes me feel as if she resides in a netherworld of mystery that eludes the rest of us mortals. Her voice seems to come from some deep place that knows all suffering and all secrets. Watching her work is like seeing through layers of glass, each each layer painted in mythic watercolor images, layer after layer, until it becomes dark, and even then you don't know you haven't come to the bottom of it. The only other time I'd experienced this with an actor was with Marlon Brando. Like Vanessa, he always seemed in to in an he almost seemed to be in another reality, working off some secret magnetic inner rhythm. And Damn. I'm gonna say right now, this movie is amazing. This I loved, loved, loved this movie. And there this her performance to be introduced to this actress mm-hmm. and like in this context and learn these things and see like uh, this fucking movie, this deeply intense movie um, is ama- wouldn't be amazing without an amazing actress for this role. And like that description is why she is perfect in this movie. Um, but so she wins the Academy Award in her acceptance speech. She thanked Hollywood for having, quote, refused to be intimidated by the threats of a bunch of a small bunch of Zionist hoodlums whose behavior is an insult to the stature of Jews all over the world and to their great and heroic record of struggle against fascism and oppression. Which is an interesting thing to do in accepting an award is to criticize Jews when you're applying a Jewish Holocaust victim, pre-Holocaust victim. And you know, that's something they don't do enough in Hollywood these days. Criticize the Jews. Well, it's interesting because she... I didn't realize how much... 
and it makes sense. It was obviously was the case then too, but like the modern idea of sort of far left being anti like Israel and anti Zionist kind of thing and pro Palestine. Um, and the argument that that's anti-Semitic and those views are bad and like the attacks from others on the left about that, um, I just thought of as a modern thing and to realize it's like, oh shit, this is like 1977 and she did that, um, she got lots of negative press. I could imagine. And, and this was on stage and the, um, Patty Shayevsky, who was giving the award and who wrote Network, had an outraged oh. response on stage, apparently. So it was like this big <laughs> holy shit moment. Um, she had trouble finding work for a while, apparently. But she was a member of the Workers' Revolutionary Party in the 70s. She was a Marxist. Um, she ran for parliament several times. She, in 1977, funded and narrated a documentary called The Palestinian. Um, that was like showcasing the PLO, which some might call a terrorist group. Um, but that that was her politics and she clearly wasn't just a, like an armchair celebrity activist far from it. Um, she was then cast to play a concentration camp survivor in an Arthur Miller play. And one Jewish organization likened it to quote, selecting J Edgar Hoover to play Martin Luther King. (laughs) Um, in 2004, she founded the Peace and Progress Party, a British Marxist anti-war party. Nice. Um, Larry King challenged her on her criticisms of the war because, of course, he fucking did. Like a duel? <laughs> she, 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 this yes. woman would, would have fucking killed him earlier. Um, and in 2017, at age 80, she made her directorial debut with Sea Sorrow a documentary about the European migrant crisis. She is also Liam Neeson's mother-in-law. Whoa. Yeah. Nifty. Liam Neeson from Love Actually. Yeah. Full circle. You can't tell a on Christmas. (laughs) Anyway. That's the moral of these movies today. (laughs) Sorry, this is going to take a while. I have so much to get through. And frankly, there is... Two, I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about this movie without doing it slowly. It's fair. Um, so we get, so Anna Lenke, this old Jewish Nazi or um, concentration camp survivor um, who was tortured and now runs a clinic for torture victims in the modern world. Mm-hmm. And she's talking, she's saying, when, you know, when I started, there were no apprenticeships, no, um, no seminars, and no wise old professor to sit you down and say, no, this is how it's done. Talks about how being an activist was so, right, only you know if you're fucking up, and it's such, like, a hard, lonely road, and it's tough. And she gently touches Jern's face. And Dern is like, has a little flinch and is uncomfortable in this moment. They're just meeting, right? She's like, I want to do a bigger story on you. That's this meeting. And she says to, she says to Dern, you, you know, I read, I've read all your work and you were very objective. It was like, she says, quote, as if you were not the girl they did those things to, which we have this little clue now. Dern has unsurprisingly had some sort of torture 
inflicted upon her in that situation from the beginning of the movie and um, has been writing about it with this scrappy nonprofit journalist group. And um, Dern's deeply flattered and moved. And this woman, like, it clearly can connect to her really well. And that's, this woman feels like such a, a real character in her strength to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asks Dern if she'd like to come to the clinic as a patient. And Dern's like, no, like, just, just to report. And she's like, basically leaves the offer open. Um, back in Dern's apartment, she's got, there's a photo of photographer, boyfriend, husband, um, partner for six years, we mm. later learn. So <gasps> six years. Yeah. Right. Common. Another parallel. <laughs> Common. <laughs> and, um, the, she's like looking at the picture and the door opens and he's there with his camera and he takes a picture of her and comes behind her. And they have this intense, passionate sex that feels like, without the context, would be like something in like a a softcore, like on HBO late at night in the late 90s kind of sex scene mm-hmm. that young Max enjoyed. Um, it's got that energy, almost like, not like cheesy horn sa- like sax, <laughs> but almost like intense, sexual, romantic, passionate kind of music. Um but you know something's off. You're like, oh, this doesn't feel the way he walks in with the camera. It feels like a dream. And there's a shot from above of them lying in bed. And he just fades away. And she starts like she is anguished. She has this deep anguish and lying in bed alone crying. Um, so she's got some trauma. A little bit. And then she's driving in a com- in a convertible, listening to punk music, because fuck yeah, which is cool. Nice. Um, and she she's driving past, like, the, in this nice, like, estate. Uh, she drives up to a lovely estate, and she sees through the gate a uh, swimming pool. And we get this quick flash, and a white, white, like, black and white photograph kind of snapshot moment of... Like being plunged in water, plunged into a swimming pool or something. And right, she like, then she goes in. This is the clinic. The clinic is at this lovely estate. And Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, and then we see. Um, oh, so she goes in. She talks to Anna about how she doesn't want them to let her know she's a journalist like she's like yeah so we're just gonna like pretend i'm a patient right because <laughs> as soon as they get there they're talking she's talking to her like she's a patient um and she sort of brushes it off and is like yeah we're just pretending and honest says to her it's fine like you don't have to be a journalist like here you are just helen a survivor of torture which is in fact the truth of the matter. Um, then we see a group of like sketchy international criminal looking dudes um, at a train station. One's got a suit and looks like he might be like vaguely like Russian or something or Eastern European. One's like, like a Latino kind of like in paramilitary. It looks like a Contra. He's got like a beret and some camo. The other one's got like a leather jacket. They look like 
three international toughs <laughs> up to no good. Three A-team henchmen from different episodes. Yeah. Oh, and then a man with a ponytail surreptitiously <laughs> oh hands God. them car keys. <laughs> nice. He's like, it's the blue whatever the fuck it is. Huh. Um, and they grab the keys and get in. Then, um, so, Anna is now talking with Dern and is like, oh, so, like, what, what drugs is it that makes your blood pressure so high? And she's like, oh, they're, they're prescription. She's like, yeah, um, if you're going to be at this clinic, like, you need to give them to me. And... Darren kind of reluctantly hands him over after this sort of like, all right, fine. Like if this will be, she like talks her into it and she hands him over and she's like, okay. And the sleeping pills. And she's like, oh, how did you know? And she says, everybody I work with takes sleeping pills, um, which is fucked up and sad. And it's like, this woman knows kind of what torture does to people and is like really, and Dern doesn't realize that torture has done this to her, right? This is very much like your movie. Like, sh- this movie is about her not not taking on the trauma and accepting it and struggling to do that. And so right now she is very much in denial about these things. But we see her abusing pills and drinking and, like, she does not have it together. Crying in bed in English. So she gives so she's like giving the sleeping pills and then after she does she's like all right and like you might as well give them give me all the other shit you have because i know you have some more and she does um and she says the pills or there's no story and i throw you out on your pretty little behind um she on a on a lanky has um she has that stern right it's a british actress but german character that mm-hmm. stern German, like, forthrightness. And what we'll see throughout is so many times where she's... Um, where Dern is deflecting, right? We get a lot of, like, group therapy and stuff. Dern might deflect and, like, make a joke or ask about someone else instead. Or someone else might do that. And she just, like, undaunted, doesn't mind it, acknowledges that it's there, and, like, continues, like, okay, and end the trauma. Like, okay, and we're, we're, and we're gonna keep moving. Hmm. Like, you can feel the need to deflect it. That's all understandable. You can react in really, really rough ways. Um, and she's just, like, a fucking locomotive powering through, just, like, saving trauma victims. She's wonderful. Um, torture victims. So we get a little, so Anna lost her husband six months ago, the old woman, mm-hmm. and she, which is like this, another level of intensity and just like sadness that this, this person has had to deal with. Everyone in this film has just dealt with such tremendous sadness. And she asks how long Helen and Jan, who is Dern's photographer, were together. She says, about six years probably doesn't seem too long to you. And she says, oh, it seems a lifetime. Six months is a lifetime. This is right after she says her husband died six months ago. And it's this, oh, it's such a beautiful, sad, um, sad, sad line, which is a, a trend throughout this movie. This movie so much is beautiful and poignant, um, in its recognition of this sadness and it's honest to look at it. Then we get 
a train. And the train stops at this station, and just as a man walks off, we get just a little twang of, like, like a Mexican guitar flourish, like a vaguely Latino, just kind of... It was a little... It was interesting. It didn't feel necessary, but it was like, ah, yes, the the man from the South has arrived. Breaking bad for, like, five seconds. Yeah. And, and in this moment, off steps... Um, an older, gaunt gentleman mm-hmm. in a suit, exiting the train alone. And this is, we later learn, is Professor Tomas Ramirez. And he is played by Raul Julia. Raul. As if you thought there'd only be one legendary Shakespearean oh. theater actor in this. Nay, nay. No. Raul Julia. Yes. Is... Uh, Legendary Shakespearean actor from Puerto Rico. He got uh, one of his first television roles was on Sesame Street in the oh, 70s. Nice. Um, he made his film debut opposite Al Pacino in The Panic at Needle Park, a romantic wow. drama about a group of heroin addicts written by Joan Didion. Um, he starred opposite Meryl Streep in Taming of the Shrew. Opposite Christopher Walken in Othello, and played Don Quixote in a revival of Man of La Mancha. But you may know him, Nick. What do you you think I am, a Philistine? I've seen none of those movies, but I definitely want to see the Needle Park one. But you may know him, Nick, in fact, as Gomez Adams. Oh, wait! Adams family Yes, he currently is a drama professor in Pittsburgh. That is false. also incredibly old. That is not true. Um, no. Wait, wait, wait. Because this was his last movie. Yes. Okay, sorry. I thought you meant the old... Because the original Gomez Adams is, like, 98. Oh, really? he's a drama professor in Pittsburgh, because... I don't mean to off-track you, but... Are you aware of Trundle Manor? No, but that's a funny name for a manor. It's this weird old house. It's run by this guy that, like, he's a model maker. Like, he sculpts things for railroads, and he makes models for movies, and he, like, is a pop, a prop builder. He's insanely no, talented. Can you go? Is this open yes, to the public? but the down... You schedule tours, and you pay them in money, oddities, or alcohol. And it's you... When I'm we boring. Went, I'm just gonna use money. When we went, um, Mrs. Trundle showed us around, and she just... Their entire downstairs is just, like, a museum of oddities and taxidermy like their kitchen their kitchen the center of it is an antique birthing table that they use as like a they put like cookies on when they're baking for the holidays and their kitchen is just all retrofitted to look like a mad scientist lair their house is fucking fantastic but amazing they were telling they had a picture of him that was autographed and they were he she told us the story of they snuck into the school to meet him and he was he was a very nice old man he's like oh yes you two are two little goth people i didn't know both both gomez's were legendary bs um and yes this was the last film he made it was released posthumously oh my god he was also in Street Fighter. Right? I was gonna, yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah, it was. I knew there it. it is. I knew because I knew he was dying when that was being made as well. Yes, that was the oh, the last um, feature film he was in. This being a TV film afterwards, he played. I don't remember him, but I saw that movie and didn't love it as a child. But was reading <laughs> that his role is and the the villain M Bison is um, in fact the only good thing about this movie, and it's a great thing because wow. he's amazing. 
So I might at some point watch that just for his role. And I do know he was in that specifically so his children would have something to watch that he was in that they enjoyed. Correct. Yeah, because he was dying. Um, he had been he had stomach cancer for three years. You see it in his face in this. He has a gaunt. It is does not look as healthy as Gomez Adams. Um, fun fact: M. Bison. Do you know why that character is named M. Bison? I do not. So you know, when they released the Street Fighter like. Street Fighter 2, I think, introduced M. Bison and three other, like, the bad guy villains. And in the story mode, M. Bison was the top one. But one of them was a boxer. The boxer was supposed to be M. Bison, because it was Mike Bison. But out of fear that Mike Tyson would sue them, they just switched (laughs) characters' names. Oh, Mike Tyson. Um, What a guy. So... Oh, and a, a bit about Raul Julia. He himself has quite a, quite a bit of humanitarian work of his own. He started programs to promote screenwriting for Latino youths Aww. in New York. Nice. Um, working with independent Puerto Rican filmmakers for like low or no pay and often promoted The Hunger Project and supported that uh, a big food bank. And his legacy lives on in the National Endowment for the Hispanic Arts Raul Julia Award for Excellence, which Sandra Bullock got. Whoa, Sandra. Yeah. She was married to Jesse James. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time. Okay, so Gomez gets off the train. Yes. And he sees the the international toughs. Mm -hmm. And they see him and he, they're after him. And he see he sees two cops and just starts asking them for directions and kind of you know like he, um, so they they scatter. He gets away. He gets in a cab, and Dern. Meanwhile, then we go back to the clinic. Dern is trying to talk to one young woman. She, um, I'm not sure where her character's from. Maybe Latin America. Um, the actress is, um, is Indian, but I don't believe her character is. Um, and she's the woman who apparently is on, uh, Jessica Jones. There's an older Indian woman is a professor. Sure. I, think. I, I do not watch the show, but yeah. Listeners who do, that, this is her back in 95. She's great. Um, Dern's trying to talk to her and she's like catatonic. She's smoking a cigarette. She doesn't even look. She's like this young woman who's just like shell shocked in the fucking eyes, like doesn't say a word. And so Dern goes off, um, and she hears Anna talking to a man behind a closed door and she eavesdrops. Anything to do at a trauma clinic. (laughs) Yeah. And she's, um, and it's Gomez and he's there. This ah. is where he's a riven. And she's saying, oh, well, how would you kill yourself? And he says, with with the gun I have. She's like, I'll need to take your gun if you're going to spend time here. He's like, I might I might need it. The men, I saw the men who were after me. And she, again, just with her warmth and radiance, kind of convinces him. Like, he can, he can let go of the gun. And... He reluctantly turns it over. It's fear. Oh, man. I wish I were better. I wish I were more talented so I could better convey these performances. He has this palpable fear. I wrote, I wrote his fear is human and palpable, which I think is the best I can do. 
Um, he goes to call his son to let him know he's safe. And the this call gets traced by the Tufts. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Dern wakes up from a nightmare of flashbacks. We got bright lights. We got the, it's all the same kind of like photog- flash photograph, kind of black and white, still shot. The water plunge. Um, so she steps out for a smoke in the middle of the night and stumbles upon Tomas. And he's very sweet and he offers her his sweater. And they're talking. He's, she, he says, that must have been some nightmare. She says, yeah, they all are. Which is, a, you know, a lovely, a very smart way to reveal that. Let it just that one line. She doesn't say, I have nightmares all the time, right? Um, and he says, I, I just avoid them. She says, you're, you're an insomniac? And he says, yes, I've forgotten the secret handshake, which I love <laughs> to mean like I just I can't sleep anymore. Um, she says, I prefer chemicals. <laughs> and she almost reveals that she's a journalist, but she's like, oh, shit, like I'm not. She doesn't. They're in group therapy the next day. Um, Helen reluctantly, everyone's like, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm a, a survivor of torture. She like doesn't say it at first, but then says it kind of sheepishly, mm-hmm. like with, with distance from herself. Um, we meet a few others. We meet Cerise, who is a Caribbean woman. We meet Nick the Greek, who is an adorable old man oh. with a cane. Um, Quatio is a young African man, and Mirna, the catatonic woman from previously. Anna says, gives sage wisdom. To kill the dragon, we first have to admit it exists. And then Cerise, the Caribbean woman, opens up about, gives this sort of monologue about the deep shame that she felt as a torture victim and how she's learned how she felt so wicked and has learned through her time here that like um that she can accept that that wickedness wickedness exists and is not in her um it's like it's beautiful it's painful it's life-affirming it's all these things um and she's saying all this by way of saying she's leaving the clinic after some extended stay and she offers a line from a poem called God's World by Edna St. Vincent Millay, which Edna St. Vincent, there's a book that gets referenced. There's some poetry throughout this film. Uh, and it's a lovely line. It's, Lord, do I fear thou hast made the world too beautiful this year. Um, she breaks down in tears. I love you, Anna. She says, I love you, Cerise. It's very touching. And man, poetry in other media is so so rarely meaningful it's very hard to be meaningful it's like to to include i feel like the way i can't say hey even if i know a movie's amazing i can't just like give that to you i can't be like watch this movie right now and if you did it would be amazing like with a poem especially that's hard to do when a poem's inserted it's mm-hmm. like it's almost like hey here's this other lovely thing i really enjoy enjoy it in the context here and it's like no like that's not movies and poems i feel like generally there's this clash 
this movie, well, we've got a little more poetry later on, is um, does it very well because it's well because it's honest in how how challenging it is on this subject matter and like how deep it's willing to dive into and like stare at um, that I think it works well with poetry amongst it because poetry does that better than movies usually ever could frankly um so where are we torture 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 um Dern and Tomas chat. It's like Visitor's Day, and they don't have visitors. And Dern says, God, all these real people. It's depressing. Uh, she says she wouldn't want her friends to know she was here. She said she went to Betty Ford. just went to rehab. Um, and Dern sees the Anna and Myrna in the swimming pool. And, like, Anna's like, come on in! Like, And she stands at the gate and, like, just shell-shocked look like can't go in um now in the group's group setting dern is trying to deflect from the group rumor she doesn't even like want to admit she's a patient here but she is a patient here and she (laughs) deserves to be a patient here yeah and she's deflecting telling trying to like tell jokes something i do in therapy all the time and anna pays no mind she's like Okay, so at the ripe old age of 28, your life ceased being very much fun, didn't it? Tell us why. She's saying, like, look at this head on. Like, be be honest about this thing that happened to you. And Anna says, talks about how despite everyone's different, everyone has their own stories, um, but every single one of them, they all share the same moment where for a brief moment, they all have the same exact story when the normal flow of life is stopped. And eventually Darren opens up a little bit. She was blindfolded in the car and then put into a cell for two days. And Anna asks if she was raped. And she says no, um, despite, before saying no, some quick, brutal flashbacks. Um, Nick the Greek, the adorable old man, laughs, like, mockingly. And he says, they rape, he says, of course you got raped. He says, they, they rape all the women and they make the men do the falanga. And she's like taken aback and she's like, what's the falanga? And he gets up and he starts doing this like stumbling drunk kind of like movement, like on one foot. Uh, and it's visceral and uncomfortable and like this pain thing, but he's just sort of acting it out. Um, and Anna says that, Nick the Greek was beaten with rods on the bottom of his feet. It was apparently was a common method of torture and destroyed the nerves. And that's why he uses the cane now and can hardly walk. Huh. Um, and it's, it's intense. And then he's talking about how he, how he was forced to dig a hole and then thrown in it. Um, and how they made him eat their shit. And he's just, like, he's angry and angry at Dern for, like, like fucking admit it. Um, and so then Dern runs into Tomas at night again. Um, she now has a bottle of scotch that she got the gardener to sneak in. And she's breaking the rules, and I'm glad that it doesn't. They set it up like it could be, like, oh, and then Anna finds out, and then, like, that's the big 
turn, and now she's not good. You know, Dern's failed. Um, and they don't do any of that, which good. I like. Um, instead, it's like she's breaking the rules, but we see these small acceptances in our conversation with Tomas about just saying a little more. And she says... I wish they chose someone else. And even that, just like an admission that they did, in fact, choose me, is, like, implicit. And she likely wouldn't realize how important it is for her to to get there. But she's she's we're seeing these kind of small ways she is acknowledging this. And he asks about her, but she deflects back at him, asks about his childhood, um... He gives a lovely poetic story as, like, any Shakespearean actor could. Like, just a monologue about the beauty, like, out on the balcony with his brothers and the storms on the horizon and the rain. And then he says, oh, actually, I think I'm just so, uh, like, reminiscent about the rain because I haven't showered in three days. And she's like, my room has a shower. Like, go use my room. Go use my shower. He's like, are you sure? Like, or should we? Are, like... I I don't want to impose. She's like, no, I'll stay here. Like, go use my shower. And he's we see his gratitude and like this. He's really grateful that she offered that and she has that. And so we see this connection developing between the two of them. Um, exhausted, they both sleep in the other person's room. <laughs> and then in the morning, they both, Nick the Greek sees him come out of her room and he's like, whoa, but then he sees her come out of his room <laughs> and they and then they just switch rooms and he's just like perplexed, um, which I, is fun. I this movie like... doesn't have many laughs, but it was nice when it would extend those. I'm just so into what you're saying. Like it's just so, so many layers of deep sadness and tribulation and stuff. And that was just so funny in comparison to all of that. Yeah, it was good. Um, and another thing where I worried, like, oh, is that going to be, like, a plot point? Like, he's like, I don't know, they're, like, they're fucking, they're some weird, they're they're doing, they're doing a Freaky Friday, I don't know. (laughs) Um, and it doesn't, which I'm, I'm also grateful for. Um, they, let's see, Anna speaks with Myrna again, the, the catatonic woman. She's finally starting to talk a little bit. Um, Anna's talking about how we associate past pains with stimuli, with smells or sights or touches. And she says, Helen, would you like to tell us about your deep, deep fear of swimming pools? (laughs) And she's like, no, basically. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and Nick, the Greek has, he has this intense sort of paranoia he's he's afraid the the greek generals who tortured him i I assume back in like world war ii is is his deal um and he like falls down it's very unnerving um apparently the all of these characters like even if they don't explicitly flesh out all their stories like very specific real torture experience types of torture like informed this (laughs) this is like this is fiction, but not not a bad representation of any of this. And it's deeply intense. I feel like I've heard that when Steven Spielberg was making um, Schindler's List, 
he would work on Jurassic Park as his, like, unwinding thing. Like, he would edit it and just, like, touch it up because, like, Shinder's oh, List yeah. was so intense for him because he was Jewish and all that stuff. I feel like when um, What's-His-Face wrote this, Street Fighter was probably his, Mortal like, Kombat. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Mortal Kombat, he'd be like, fuck. I yeah, he needed Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Damn. Um, Heavy. <laughs> you're probably right about that. Um, so now they're on, like, a field trip at a touristy pier. <laughs> and... Dern and Tomas are like very field trip buddies. It's Aww. getting kind of like romancy. It's cute. Um, and she asks him like, "Oh, what what do you teach?" And he says, "How did you know I was a professor?" Because she she put, only heard that from eavesdropping. And he gets a little like, "Whoa!" And she's like, "Oh!" And Anna overhears this. She's like, "I must have mentioned it." Like she's she seems smart enough. She's covering for Dern. Um, and he and two two cops chase someone down like a random guy and handcuff him and the young african man like gets outraged and is like you can't like what did you do like it it triggers him hard and he almost gets arrested and they have to like you know you need the sweet old lady to be like i promise we're everything's fine and the cops are like all right all right, sweet old German lady. You say so. You're getting off this time. Um, now, like, Dern, there's, like, shopping, and Dern is like, come get a dress. Come come help me pick out a dress to Tomas. Uh, he's like, well, a dress for what? She's like, I want to go dancing. And then it's them, like, on a date. Like, she's in a dress, and I... That was confusing, like, was this part of the field trip? Like, they're in, in, I guess it was. Like, they just had the opportunity to do whatever they wanted the whole day at this point. Just out of curiosity for my imagination, how old is he, roughly? Like, is he supposed to be old, like, significantly he's, older? He's or? older than her, okay. but he's he looks like maybe mid-50s. Okay. I just, like, couldn't mentally place where he would have been at this point, like, with the things I know him yeah, from. Yeah, where she's, like, late 20s. So it is, but it, it doesn't feel like, the age doesn't feel like such a huge separation when the torture brings them so close, True. frankly. Um, so he, so it feels very date-like, and he's talking about, he's like, where I grew up, a lot of, a lot of my friends joined the military, and it was a very, um, a very common sort of cultural thing to do is like most of them did it um, to pick up women. <laughs> They'd be strutting around like peacocks in their suits, taking themselves so seriously, taking their lives so seriously. Um, and I liked this in the moment as just, I wasn't sure if they'd get into it further as like the torturers. And he says, he says like, and some of them, like he knew someone who did in fact torture people or most likely torture people like a friend who was a captain and he had to um he had to support his family and he was someone who's going to take orders and you know didn't you know like he needed the job and was doing it and didn't like it's something he went along with but maybe he himself wasn't a vile monster um which is a theme i brought up when i read eichmann in jerusalem yes listeners may recall um and so I liked that they they give that they bring that up and that they just share these conversations and it's all good. He's he's amazing. He 
He's so fucking good. Um, I want to go watch the Adams Family movies again. I haven't seen those Ooh, since I was a kid. I am definitely going to watch this, and I feel like watching them after would be interesting. Just seeing like different characters from him. Yeah, yeah, this is wildly different. Um, so then, oh, so as they're leaving, he spots the Tufts, <sighs> and Dern pulls out her camera and like flashes, like blinds them, and they like push him and run away and get into a cab. And then back at the clinic, Tomas overhears her on the phone talking to her boss, talking about the picture. Like, like, just find out who he is kind of thing. And Tomas confronts her and she admits she's a reporter and he freaks out. And he is outraged at the lie. First, he's like, you're with them. Like, you're with the, the fucking death goons or whoever um saying you're working with them he's like you're spying on me you were never tortured and she screams yes i was and it's this first moment where she really has this admission um and he's he's just like he's angry and she's like yes my boyfriend he's like oh we're your boyfriend the photographer where is he now is he just gonna pop around here like of course and she said they killed him. And it's something which, like, doesn't hit at the biggest surprise, but we was not revealed yet. Yeah. Um, and then the next morning, Anna's talking to Darren, like, hey, Tomas wants to leave. I think maybe if you had a chance to speak with him and convince him to stay. And she does, and they have this heartfelt, like, they both apologize. She apologizes for lying. Anna now, like, tells the whole group, like, she is, in fact, a reporter. She was, in fact, a torture victim. Like, um, and Tomas apologizes for the outburst and the accusations. But, like, you can't really blame him. It's like, this guy's got, like, real palpable paranoia. And these people are literally following him. It's not like, it's not like (laughs) Nick the Greek where he's having bad memories. Like, (laughs) like, this, this shit's really happening. And... He so he's like maybe you're right maybe I should stay like I'm I'm tired of playing hide and seek, and now like through this getting close to Tomas and now with the lie kind of exposed and out in the open around Dern, she's able to open up, in the with the group, um, and I'm gonna this is gonna get intense and I'm gonna walk through it a little bit. Um, so she, it's this long monologue where she slowly recounts um, five men. So she's put, blindfolded, put in that cell. Five men rip off her clothes. Um, she's blindfolded. She's gagged. And she talks about how she wanted, she thought if something ever like, something like this ever happened, she'd be like so angry. And instead she's like so sad and paralyzed. And she hears another man come in and he yells at them to get off of her. And she, like, she's like, I stupidly thought I was saved. And the man spits on her. Um, they don't, the the sexual stuff is implied and not shown um, or even recounted specifically in this, which I'm grateful for. Um, and they pick her up and bring her out. And she's still blindfolded. She says, I, I felt that I could hear the echoes in the voice. I was in a big room. And I feel this um, 
like a gritty plank, like a grit under my feet. And they made me walk out onto it and then pushed me in. And it was pushing her off a diving board into a pool. And she's flailing around and they, um, they're laughing at her. They're kicking, kicking. She's trying to get out. Her hands are tied. She's like trying to, trying to swim. The blindfold comes off. She's trying to climb up. They're just kicking her back in. Um, they, and then they turn on the lights and she sees at the bottom of the pool and she instantly knows who it is. That's her husband or her, her partner, Jan, um, dead at the bottom of the pool. And she tries to carry him back up and they like push her head under and she knew she was like, I was going to end up just like him. Um, but they turned the lights back off and left. And she stumbles out naked. Um, the only time I think I've seen a nude Dern, just a shot from behind, but I, I think it was, it was testament to the... I don't think she would have done this if this role wasn't what it was. Yeah. Um, and steps out into the world... And she says, they just let me go. Like, I didn't mean anything to them. They didn't ask me questions. We were nothing, I guess. We were nothing. And she's breaking down. And Anna says, you and Jan were two good, strong people. And that's why they had to hurt you and make an example of you. You were, you were important to them for that. Like, you did, in fact, matter. And there was, in fact, a reason this happened. Um, she's racked with guilt about how she couldn't save Jan and says, you know, he was so much better than me. I was, he was, you know, more committed to the cause, more passionate, more selfless. And Anna insists she did nothing wrong, um, that she did everything he would have wanted. She survived and she wrote about what happened to him and so many others. And later at night, Darren has this confrontation with the swimming pool and eventually lays down next to it, like kind of curled up fetal position and like touch it, sticks her hand in and we see her touch the surface of it. Um, then she goes to Tomas's room with a bottle of wine to talk poetry because they're like smart and romantic. <laughs> um, and she shares a passage from an old nursery rhyme. Sing a song of sixpence is the name of it. It is. I told you there'd be more poetry. I also told you this would be long. My apologies. No, you're good. I um, have nowhere to be, Max. Excellent. You're my entire day. Captive audience. Um, <laughs> the maid was in the garden, hanging out the clothes, when down came a blackbird and pecked off her nose. My word. They sent for the king's doctor, who sewed it on again. He sewed it on so neatly, the seam was never seen. Um, and she reads that, and I like that because it's silly, but also perhaps for her, in the theme of this film, the idea that like even something so disfiguring as getting your nose chopped off, that despite, you, you might never believe it, but you can be whole again. Like you can, you can live with that and live your life. Hmm. Um, 
She pulls out a book of Rilke, who was a German poet of the early 1900s, known for his mystical and existential works. Apparently had quite a a resurgence around a lot of New Age spiritual stuff. Um, The book belonged to Jan, and it had his underlines in it, and she, like, laments that he had this whole world. She's like, I only found it after he died. That, like, she was sad that he had this whole rich world that she wasn't a part of. And she's like, because I wasn't there with him. Like, I was distant. I wasn't as good a person as he was to, like, be so intimate. Um, she asked Tomas to read a passage that is so fucking good. Holy shit. I want to read, I want to read some Rilke. Listen to this. Of course, it is odd to live no more on the earth, to be held by hands that can no longer relax. For fear, they will drop you and even put your name to one side like a broken toy. Strange to see things that seem to belong together, floating in every direction. It is very hard to be dead. Yeah, that is from the first elegy of what a collection of elegies that is apparently his his uh, magnum opus, so to speak. Um, I see why. That's fucking good and intense and beautiful. Um, they embrace and they kiss. Um, we cut to the next day. Dern is in a red one piece on the diving board. <sighs> And we just see her, and she says, I can't do it. Like, she's scared. Uh, but then we see Tomas is on standing by the pool, and he's like, yes, you can. He's championing her on, and she dives in. And she gets out, and he hugs her and wraps a towel around her. Um, and it's this sweet and wonderful moment. And her boss shows that she gets back to her room, and her boss is there. <laughs> and... He asks about Ramirez. He says, hey, uh, so Ramirez, the, is he a friend of yours? And then, then we cut to, he's out, out elsewhere with her outside, um, and he is introducing her to three men who we've seen before. Uh-huh. The International Tufts. And they say, and they're like, all right, I consent to speak with you on this as long as right you do not share any of it with anyone until our work is done um and they say so you want to you want to know about the man who calls himself Ramirez and then it cuts to back in the clinic uh, Tomas is there, and Dern just with a camera, just all up in him, just like angrily taking pictures in his face. And she says, tell me more about your friend, Tomas, the captain, in the neat little office all day. And he has this like deep wariness about him, but like a resignation, but also a an acceptance and he says where did I leave off and now it's his story and he slowly talks through it much like Dern did um, and her story in the third person Um, but he says a man we had never met um, asked him to to follow him to the basement Came, came into his office hastily didn't knock and asked him to follow him in the basement and in the basement 
there was a woman who was the wife of a university professor who kept criticizing the government and wouldn't stop. And he was dangerous and he had to be taught a lesson. And the captain knew that if he didn't do what the man asked, that he would never go back to his wife or his office or his children. Um, we see a naked woman strapped to a chair um, in deep, deep distress. And Tomas, in a man in military uniform, turns around. It's Tomas. He's holding a cat prod. And says, the only thing that could obliterate the shame, the loathing, was that woman's screams. Um, Dern grabs a pot of hot coffee and throws it in his face. And that ends our monologue. And Anna is outraged and says, why did you come here? And he said, I wanted to see what I had done. Listening to all of you, I really felt like you. And Darren says, you're not like us. And um, Anna says, we, we've had men like you before. And they hand him over to the detectives. Mm -hmm. And he's put in their car. Like, oh, because they're not a death squad. They're, in fact, <laughs> they're, they're cops from another country. And they hand him over and puts him in the car. And then Darren's like, could I, could I have a moment? And she says, and she is very angry, and she says, I, I felt safe with you. How could you do that? And he said, you made me forget. And Darren breaks down um, with Anna and Myrna at her side, and they, they take Tomas away. And she says, I hate him, and I hate myself because I feel bad for him. And... Says, and what do you think they'll do to him? And like, maybe they'll torture him. We don't know. Um, but it's certainly, it's left as like, yeah, that could absolutely happen here. Um, she says, well, they'll go to trial. And she says, yes, there will be a trial. And Anna says, don't feel bad for him. He wants to feel human again. And when he admits what he did, he will be human again. And Darren says, why does he deserve that? And she says, we all deserve that. And like this, in that kind of voice, this very like night, just like, we all do. Yeah. Um, and the three women walk off holding hands. And then we get the end card um, in memory of Raul Julia, of course, who passed away immediately after this. At the hospital my mom used to work at. Hmm. Way to go, Mom. Your mom black widowed. Uh... <laughs> Gomez Adams. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, this movie boy. was so fucking good. Yeah. I didn't... I'm now realizing I never knew TV movies can are sometimes amazing movies. And we've talked a little bit about that, but now I'm like absorbing it where it's another one. Right? There's the baby dance... Siege at Ruby Ridge, not like this incredible film, but a very good movie. Um, and this, two, right, two of my all-time favorite movies we watched here were Baby Dance and this. For, and because they, they take, it takes an understanding look at 
all of this. And the way I said, I was like, I, I wasn't sure if they were going to continue getting into what the torturers might feel or mm-hmm. relate that to this story. Um, is that they did big time. <laughs> that guy was was him. Was one of them. And to offer, to be unflinching about the absolute horrors and the impacts, the lifelong impacts that these horrors inflict on people, while at the same time extending a willingness to to let the torturers be human and to recognize that, like, that might be a real good way to develop a thousand-yard stare and have a miserable life, and that might be something where... You can't imagine doing it, but you can find yourself coerced by circumstance and, in fact, doing something so monstrous. Um, And that there are, I I go back to the Rilke quote, that um, too strange to see things that seem to belong together floating in every direction. That there is perhaps... In torture being this, like, this most extreme, there's no more extreme way to show the separation between two people than that act, right? That is, like, a severing. We are humans who relate to one another, and that is the most grotesque kind of severing of that connection. Um, That I think of that quote that, Perhaps we belong together and we got to see the closeness. We got to see Dern help Tomas and we got to see Tomas help Dern. And we got, it was very real for both of them to benefit from being able to connect with one another. Um, And that perhaps the way we end things like torture is to recognize that and to continue to bring ourselves close to one another and be willing to, relate to one another um, and to humanize one another regardless of circumstance. Oh, God. I'm going to cry. This is so fucking good. Yeah, I know I always say I'll probably watch the movie that you watch because you're pretty good at explaining things, so I always consider your explanation to be a substitute for the movie. But I am actually probably not today because i don't need to really, yeah i don't to need to down my day anymore. But sit on it a, a bit, but man. I'm this... I'm thrilled to watch this this sounds like an incredible movie yeah i did read one it's hard to find much on it um i did read one review that didn't love it it was just (laughs) highlighting the like it was like the tv guide like what's on tonight um and it was like i cannot imagine what you just described being boiled down to like a tv guide yeah like two sentences and it's like it's a downer like at one point, Dern screams at a like at a low point. Laura Dern screams at a swimming pool. Like, Jesus, one way you could frame this. <laughs> sure, I will say. Oh, I want to go back to when I said I think Dern is a one Oscar winner, and maybe not. But what one thing, despite this instantly being one of my favorite Dern things, her performance is not as strong as right to the two others. Clearly not an easy performance, but I do, in reflecting on why, um, I think she was perhaps too young. That the way that both of them carried, like the Jane Fonda quote, like in their real lives, this like long, deep kind of, if 
like Anna's character had to be old because you have to tap the wisdom she had could only come from age. Mm-hmm. And Raul Julia feels like he embodies so much of that too, especially as he's literally dying. Literally, like, might have been a matter of months from when these scenes were shot. Um, that, like, that's what ma- they're able to do that in ways that, like, Lori Dern, when she talked about the one smooth talk where she talks about how she was like i was naive then that made me great for this role because like i didn't know better i was a fucking child where this she feels like perhaps too young to fully be able to um at at times it feels like a little it's not as perfect a performance and that's like not to discredit darren it's a really good performance um but the other two are Holy shit. It's like, oh yeah, I understand why you were both acting legends. I feel like just from this week, I'm starting to realize how many incredibly sad, upsetting, downtrodden, like, just like, underdog without winning at the end characters that Laura Dern kind of ends up playing. And I feel like it makes sense that she, she's like just now getting into her Oscar phase, I feel like. Like when she played the lawyer in, um... Marriage story, marriage like, story. she was just taking all that sad she's ever done, and she's finally old enough to, like, make it believably real and, like, yes. just be a powerful she has character. gotten... Yeah, maybe Darren will be one of the best actors ever in 30 years. Like, maybe she's she gonna will be... Meryl Streep, and who knows? She might, like, Mama yeah, Mia she... 4. <laughs> yeah. I hope... I hope she loves this. If I, like... I, I want her on the pod. More than anything, I'd want to ask her about this and this in particular. This is... Like, you know, because she's not, she's like, she's perhaps more of a typical activist celebrity, it feels. But so many of these roles, the ones that most people don't know, the ones that are, (laughs) you got to watch on YouTube, right? Like there, she, she has a clear willingness to take on very challenging and very intense subject matter and does a excellent job i know there's great examples of that in her filmography but the first thing i immediately thought of was that one where she's like a nun who's bringing the, dogs yeah. to the prisoners yeah prison air buds <laughs> yeah oh gosh wow what a week huh we're good. we're really we're really batting a hundred over here a thousand thousand yeah either way you get our it's like it's a percent it maybe should be a hundred but yeah, it's a right? thousand I'm smarter than sports. I'll say. <laughs> Take that, afraid. Elias Sports Bureau. <laughs> Mr. Disney, tear down your sports wall. <laughs> oh, boy. Is that the title? <laughs> the first the, part is... completely irrelevant. It has nothing. It has. It is a weird, multi-layered, irrational callback. I, Good for us. I yield to you if you want to go in a different direction, hey, but I had nothing. I'm it like, was either going to be good called, luck finding one. It was going to be called trigger warning or what I just said. So it should be trigger warning and then that, Mister Elias. Well, Max, Oof. in in complete stark, like photo negative opposition. <laughs> do you want to know what you're watching next week? Yeah, you are closing a cycle that has taken. Probably to this week, almost exactly a year, you are going to be watching Little Fockers. Really? Yes! <laughs> you got Little Fockers, the movie that I watched the blooper Deleted reel for. Scenes. I would assume a year ago, almost exactly. 
So that mean you have to watch that shitty David Lynch movie I never want to watch? Maybe. Was it Mulholland Drive? No, I want to see that one. If I hate that, then I'm Wait, didn't you the... watch the blue... The, I watched like, the deleted the... scenes of... Mulholland Drive. No. Oh, what? Um, I could have sworn that was the one. Inland Empire? Oh, yeah. She wasn't in Mulholland Drive. She was not. Well, that's why I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're going to be watching that, and I get to watch um, some dumb football movie. <laughs> when the brave stand tall. Really? Yeah. What is that dumb football movie? When the movie? brave stands tall. I didn't really look into it because I know I'm not going to love it. Oh, I mean, we got to gotta take but... a, pay, a peek. I, it looks like a very... I mean, I Only think... Only the brave stand tall? I th- When the brave stand tall? or I'm not sure. I kind of scribbled it down. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's a, it looks like a very early 2000s sports movie, perhaps late 90s. I do not know Laura Dern's character in it. She probably is a mom in it Coach's for 12 life. Minutes. Probably. Oh, she looks great. If, oh no, that's from Enlightened. <laughs> oh, oh, it's just a bunch of pictures of her, because I searched Laura Dern brave stands oh, tall. And like, she's a tall woman. and <laughs> She is. Hell yeah, she's brave. Famously long. She is our queen. When the game stands tall. That's oh, you know the name of Actually that is what I wrote. I just the capital G looked like a B. Like Bisney. Bisney. Walt Bisney. <laughs> when the game stands tall. I wanna know what it oh, is. Oh, you're not gonna look up little fuckers. <laughs> little fuckers. Oh god. Oh, my lord. So angry. You sure made that. a third one, huh? <laughs> you know Ooh, you Jim Caviezel. Oh. Jesus is in it as the coach. And Laura Dern is his wife, Bev. Oh, yeah. I'm jealous. Uh, it, I, drama? It's, yep, drama. It's going to be good. I'm excited. It's going to be a really different from this week, so I'm excited about that. I else. hope so. <laughs> it is a I, critics I rating so. of Genius. 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty good. An unusual, an uneasy blend of solid game sequences and threadbare inspirational oh. sports drama cliches. Oh, Can no. I watch it? Yeah, I mean, if you want to. I probably won't. Do you want to switch? Do you want no. me to do Little Fockers and you could do the sports one? No, let me tell okay. Like, only because we never have. <laughs> yeah. I would, in fact, prefer that, but no, that feels like it violates the, the scrap of sanctity <laughs> we have here. It's weird how much sanctity we have in this threadbare <laughs> yeah. podcast. Ar- arbitrary sanctity. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I feel like I've run a marathon. <laughs> yep. Well, Max, shall we take another two weeks off and do this again in March? Yeah, why not? Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yep. See you. Bye, Terry. <laughs>